I'm just eating my pizza and wondering <laughs> where the next beer's coming from. This is the Creative Double Shot, a conversation about building the creative life you want. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Ginger. If you want more creativity in your life, let's talk. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Creative Double Shot. Welcome. Today we're going to talk about things that we wish we had known then that we know now. <laughs> or in the immortal words of the faces, uh, I wish that I knew what I know, knew, know then. I only then. know Rod's cover. Well, no, he was, the, he was in oh. the faces. Oh. He, yeah, he, he was. He was? Yeah. That's, that's yeah. His, that was him. Wish that I knew what I know now. When I was here. Anyway, we will not sing. Um, well, we will, but just not on camera. <laughs> Returning to our days in the chorus, Mr. Price, we're gonna do this a, one's for you. Do a medley of Beatles songs here in a few minutes and Handel's Messiah. Welcome. Parsley, sage, rosemary, <laughs> and thyme. <laughs> oh, we got that. Oh, that's staying in. That's gold. Um, it occurs to me as we get further along our path with our creative practice that we have these revelations. And it's not unusual to go, hmm. I remember someone telling me that a long time ago, maybe in a different context, maybe it had nothing to do with writing or creative practice, but somebody said that once upon a time, but we were young, dumb, and stupid. and you know, <laughs> Dumb and stupid. <laughs> dumb, that's right. So we were young and maybe not as receptive to such advice, which is so often the case. But I wonder if you ever have moments where you're like, man, I wish say 10 years ago when I started this or however long ago you started whatever, you know, your, the inception of your creative practice that you wish there were things that people had told you to help ease the path and maybe create a little less suffering uh, along the way. You know, I think of things like the inner critic, mm -hmm. you know, just even the concept of it right. and this being aware that you undermine your own efforts, which I don't think anyone ever did when I was, you know, in art class or choir or any of that stuff. And not that I would have been receptive to it necessarily. Right. Or really completely understood the concept if you haven't been having a creative practice. Right. right? Yeah. Well, but I mean, I, I guess my thinking was that those were like, we did art class a couple times a week. We did choir three times a week. So right. we were engaged in this creative practice, but it wasn't viewed as a creative practice. It was like, well, you're in choir and you're going to practice songs and you're going to perform or Doing, we're doing this art project. We're doing calligraphy now. Okay, now we're moving on. As opposed to like helping people wrap their emotional ball of twine in a good yeah. place. You know, yeah. that, that's where our twine went from like a nice orderly skein into a snarled <laughs> ball because the things that we wanted to make didn't come out. Yeah. And I don't know that I necessarily have anything that I look back and go... Oh, yeah. If, if someone had told me that, it would have made my journey different. But I do think being aware of various states in the creative practice is super helpful to identifying them and giving them the appropriate perspective. Yes. And so maybe if you get hit over the head with a concept enough, whether it be from a mentor or if you're reading books or wherever you're getting your 
outside information about creativity, that's useful because hearing it over and over again makes you more attuned to the possibility, I guess, that it could happen. But I, I was just thinking of a lot of things from writing. Like if someone had said, you'll be 13 years into your creative practice and you will not have published a novel. Mm. And I... Not sure that I would have believed them because it seemed to me that it should be doable in a shorter amount of time. Right. Five years probably felt like a really long time, right? Yeah. My first novel from start to putting it down, I think was seven years. That's when it hit me. It's like, wow, yeah, this is not, you know, and thinking, okay, well, next time I'm going to get more efficient, that sort of thing. And I guess maybe that sort of more, yeah, I would like, what do I wish that I knew then that I know now? And I think that thing, like, just, hey, this process is a, is a process It takes as long as it takes and don't forget to enjoy it as opposed to always be striving for that finished product. I yeah. think that's a big one. Yeah, the process itself. I feel like we've learned that just doing this podcast. It's been huge. Yeah, absolutely. Recognizing that the manifestation is actually the practice itself. I think both of us were aware. I mean, you'd been touting process, not product exactly. from your counseling days, right? <laughs> Yeah. And, and I somehow think I wasn't Well, but I think that's it. I think you almost have to experience it yourself and eventually get to that place. Like I feel like now I'm at the place where it's like, this is okay. It's hard today. Tomorrow it might not be. You just keep at it and eventually the thing the feeling you want to feel will happen. You know, I think a huge one for me which I, again, might not have listened to exactly, although I'm always open to listening to someone say, you should have fun doing it. But right. the really, like really understanding something, and this has happened over and over and over again, of intellectually understanding a concept and then at some point knowing it. Like, ah, yeah. oh, well, of course I knew that, but I didn't know it. And I think this idea of having fun, having it be okay that it's fun. As opposed to it's worrying whether you've got the layers and the serious depth. and Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, which some people would still argue. I still have friends that are artists that think that you really need to think of it as more serious pursuit. But for me, I want to have fun. That's the reason I do it. Well, uh, it's one of the big reasons I do. And that's as valid a reason as to take it seriously and make serious art. You know, I think people's dispositions factor heavily into what their goals are too, right? Well, I am a very serious person. That's true. So we almost called this the creative tombstone. <laughs> so we'll be singing dirges later. That's right. In the park with Don McLean and American Pie. We sang Bye. dirges in the dark, the day uh, the music died. <laughs> anyway, where were we? And so as we're talking about this, I don't know that any advice, except for like specific things along the way, I think it's more when someone sees your work and they evaluate it and they say, well, have you thought of this? Or what about this? Or I noticed that you have this tick. Or I noticed that you could go deeper here. Those are the things that usually are more helpful to me than, you know, it's going to take a long time or be patient, you know, stuff that, of course, you probably don't want to hear right. or you, you have to experience it yourself versus just like kids, right? You can't 
Well, you can. You can give kids all the advice you want, but <laughs> right. inevitably, as a younger person, you generally want to figure stuff out for yourself, and therefore you make mistakes. You make the same mistakes other people have made, but that's just like in a creative practice, that's probably the best way to learn. It's really interesting because there's this idea about in society, it's not worth doing unless there's some sort of product for monetary value hmm, or right, whatever. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about that over the past 40, how many episodes? This is episode 42, I believe. Ooh. Yeah, so we've the, talked about that concept a lot. Sorry. 42 is the uh, answer to the universe. Uh, Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> okay. Sorry if we spoiled it. <laughs> Um, blah, blah, blah. Uh, All right, let's take, yeah. We'll cut that out. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Society, money. Oh, yeah. So I think if somebody, and, and I can't well, keep coming back to this, I might not have listened, but if somebody had said, enjoy the, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I think it's, if you were to make art and never sell it, could you make art for the rest of your mm. life? And if someone told you that, you'd be like, well, what's my motivation? Maybe earlier on. Whereas I would argue now, it's hard to conceive of not putting it out there or not trying to share it. But sharing doesn't necessarily mean selling either. Right. So I guess what I'd love to tell my younger self that going for the feeling, the practice itself, is more important than you think it is. And doing things over and over, which is a separate thing, but the importance of iteration. Yeah, taking that deeper dive, which I would say is probably something that you've come to more recently. Yeah. At least consciously. I mean, you've done it before. We refer back to your pair period where you were doing <laughs> lots of pairs and you got really good at doing pairs without any references or anything. And, uh, but we never sat down and dissected it on a podcast and went, right. you know, <laughs> the reason you're good at that is because you did that a billion times. I was thinking of the other one, verse, the talent versus the practice thing. I wish I'd known earlier on that talent is not the important part. It's doing something over and over again. You know, like... This expectation that I used to have, I need to be good at this right away. And if I'm not, it means I'm, it was not meant to be. It's interesting um, reading this book called Pity the Reader. And of course, I'm blanking on the actual author's name, but she was a student of Kurt Vonnegut's. And it's basically taking the messages from Kurt Vonnegut's nonfiction, uh, especially notes on, about writing and notes she remembers from taking his classes. And he said, you can't create talent. And the way I was reading it was that, you know, initially I was like, oh, well, that kind of sucks. But what he was saying, but you can teach people how to write. And then there's sort of that confluence of both of those things. And he was saying how when he grew up, writing was just something that came easy to him. Whereas when he uh, was a Saab salesman, he went to the Saab mechanic school to learn how to be a mechanic and they kicked him out because he just <laughs> didn't have the aptitude. Right. And his point was that you know, there are just some things that you might not have the talent to do. So, okay, so maybe not everyone is a writer or not everyone's 
an artist, but I still think everyone's creative, mm-hmm. right? Because that manifests in so many different ways. And in fact, I believe we even talked about mechanics as yes, being able to use their pursuit. creativity to problem solve and figure stuff out. And I highly doubt that anybody who really loves something has zero aptitude for it, you know? It's true. Like, because I've, I've talked to a lot of people over my life, like, I wish I could draw. Well, do you like to draw? Well, I don't know. I never have, you know, and I, I just know I can't. And they don't even really want to try. Whereas the people who typically want to draw have started doing it very early. So there's an interest. Well, and I think that may be another piece of the puzzle. So you have talent, you have the will, and then you have the actual practice of doing it, right? And so if you have the will and the practice, chances are you can probably make some pretty good headway. Another thing that he brought up was that almost anyone can be a writer, but not everyone's a storyteller. Mm, And I think, man, I I definitely struggle with that. I'm like, well, but I find that if I give it enough time, I can tell a good story, but I don't just rattle them off the top of my head. And so that goes back to the narrative thing. It's like, well, you know, if you know how the best way to get a story out of yourself, then you would, would do that sort of thing. And maybe it's not something that I would tell my younger self. I, I wish I had known all this when I was younger, only to have a better context within which to pursue this creative practice. You know, maybe it would have resulted in me doing it earlier, or maybe it would give a little more equanimity in facing the challenges early on, uh, that sort of thing. If you had to boil it down, it's that being comfortable with uncertainty in a lot of ways. Yes. And it's so fascinating because some of these things do come with experience and age. Absolutely. Although, I mean, not that young people can't be very wise. Old souls. Old souls. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. I think it just for... It comes to different people at different times. I, th- the, I think some of the things that have most helped my writing weren't from the writing community. It was from a work colleague writing blog posts. And he's like, hey, you know, you've got, I think you've got it upside down where your intro idea sh- is at the bottom. It should be at the top. I notice that like almost daily. I, like I write and it, I think what it is, is like this throat clearing mm-hmm. as I form my thoughts to get to the nugget versus and... Oh, yeah. Um, so, Ben Kernay, if you're out there listening, that's, oh, that's to you. Nice. But, yeah, and, and so that sort of stuff, too. Like, if someone had said, be open to influences that are outside of your particular practice, because you can always find wisdom. You can find wisdom anywhere. And I think m- the everyday mixed with the creativity, I wish I'd thought early on about the fact that you can make your whole life part of your creative practice. And so interactions with people that you don't think of as creative or experiences that you, I had, I tended over the years to compartmentalize my creative practice. And I've set the intention over the last few years to really have them be a fluid thing. But that probably would have been good to be doing that earlier. I think if someone had said to me, don't be so precious about these big blocks of time, that, that might have been, been helpful because I know I would get antsy and I felt like I needed that time, even if I wasn't writing that whole time. But what I found, of course, is that I do a lot of thinking about my writing, even if I'm not sitting down to write. 
And the other thing I, I find is that there are times, and it's not every day, but where I do get, I get excited enough that even if I've written in the morning, I'll pick up my journal and start writing some ideas down or doing a little research or stuff like that. And it's more enjoyable because I'm excited about it. Yeah. And I think that goes back to the idea of the begeisterung and just kind of getting that, that vibe in you that makes you excited to, to get to it or at least think about it. Sometimes the thinking about it is more exciting than the actual <laughs> exactly. doing of it. <laughs> we were just, I was just talking to my accountability partner about this last week of just, you have in the middle of the night, all these great ideas and, oh, I'm going to try this and this and then get into the studio and just go, I'm completely overwhelmed. Or, I don't even or know the where first to start. stroke doesn't look anything like you imagined. Well, like, oh. exactly. And I do believe it's that performance, you know, suddenly there's a performance aspect or a, an expectation aspect or something. I, I think I it's the expectation. It's what you visualize in your mind and, have, and having what's actually coming out be different. And so again, like as, as I'm in the physical act of my creative practice, which involves a lot of juggling and knives <laughs> and stuff, <laughs> hell, I'm writing, uh, I hold that feeling of getting the fun, exciting ideas in my mind. And if I'm not feeling that, I'm like, okay, well, let's see if I can get there. And that would be a thing that would be useful to have known as opposed to, well, how come I don't feel this way mm. when I'm working on this thing? And it's like, well, there are a number of reasons. And, and I would say, though, that I've come across the advice, and I, I think the way the advice is given, it's like, well, if you're bored, the reader's bored, and, which is cool, and, and it's, it's kind of the other side of that same coin. But it's, if you're bored, figure out how to not be bored. Right, as opposed it's not to like, as well, motivating. It's more scary. It's more like, yeah. if you're bored, <laughs> you you're boring. <laughs> And uh, uh, it's interesting reading that Kurt Vonnegut book and uh, Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott and just this idea of worrying about not having anything to say or do. And the reality is, is, you know, that's, I guess, another thing that even, you know, I guess you could take it to the nth and go, oh, well, oh, everyone's special and all that kind of stuff. But everyone is unique. You know, everyone's had their own experiences through their own lens. So there's material there. It's just how self-aware are you, how examined is your life and your interactions with not only people but the world. And so there are all these things that I think being in tune, which I don't know that, I think you could teach it, you can learn it, you can dial back the distractions, you can make it a point to actually record observations. There are a lot of things you can do. And so I think that's a big one too, like, hey, being in tune with the world. Every time I read these books, it's like, oh, yeah, people are just material for your books. You know, I'm always like over here in people's conversation. I'm like, I'm just eating my pizza and wondering <laughs> where the next beer's coming from. And, and I think that uh, I rely a lot on just sort of passive stuff as opposed to really actively engaging, which is something that I'm now trying to change a little bit and see if I can be more active about it because I think that's really interesting. And it's not that I'm not an observer of people and stuff, but I'm... Um, not thinking of it from a ter- in terms of writing. It's just more like engaging people yeah. as people. I don't know if there's anything in particular. I, I mean, no one's ever said anything to me that I'm like, oh, yeah, like coming back that now it's really ringing true necessarily. I think one of the things that you learn as you go is that, you know, there, there are a whole lot of truisms 
that are just really just at their guidance. They're not, they're not prescriptive. And, you know, you can take a book like Robert McKee has this book called Story. It's about screenwriting. And he talks about beats and he breaks it all down and he has all the stuff. So you can take a story and do all those things, but that doesn't mean it's going to be good or have the magic of a good story. And so they're like all these things that are useful tools, but I guess maybe that's one other thing I would say is that you always have to, kind of like your creative practice, you have to come to it on your own terms and figure out what works for you. And I think that's a big one. I do remember somebody telling me, well, that's how I do it. You know, that's not, I, cause I was like, oh, I think I'm going to try that. I can't remember what it was, some sort of way of writing a novel as far as organizing stuff. Like, oh, I think I'll do that. Well, that's the way I do it. And I took it as, well, they're being very territorial. Uh-oh. And I, I still think they were, but they also <laughs> might've been like, well, it might not work for you, which of course now I'm much more aware of. So, and yeah, know that you may not be ready for the wisdom that comes your way. That would have probably been a good one to hear as yeah. a youngster. I think butt in the chair is still one of the, mm-hmm. that's one of the writerly ones you'll get over and over and over. But this week, I've really, really seen that. It's, Just get there. Well, it's true. And that's the other thing. So there's all this advice. There's all this wisdom. But ultimately, you still have to, to do the sweat work. <laughs> you have to get in there and, and do it because it's not going to do itself. And uh, I was thinking of one more anecdote from that Kurt Vonnegut book. He was talking about a colleague, uh, or the author was, she, that was in the same writing program at Iowa Writers Workshop. So this instructor, he was a writer, and he had learned his craft on the streets of New York and stuff like that. Yet here he was in his teaching, and he, and he disdained writing classes. He's like, like, what are you guys even doing here? You should be out there, you know, and giving them hell, but getting paid for it and, and, and being a teacher. So that, that's, I thought that was pretty hilarious. Yeah, advice is hmm. all advice. So what we're going to do is tell you. <laughs> exactly. Here's to, what you need to do. Yeah. Five easy steps. Saw it on BuzzFeed. This is a classic instance where it it really illustrates what we just said that, you know, we have these anecdotes from our lives and things that we sort of wish we had been told, but really weren't sure if we would have been receptive to them earlier on. Again, it kind of goes back to that awareness. So I would say keep your eyes and ears open to the world and to yourself and to your heart. And Eventually, you'll come to your own words of wisdom. And maybe some of that stuff that you heard way back when uh, will resonate yeah, once again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure. sure. Maybe something in this podcast will fl- plant a seed. That's right. I guess the last thing I would leave with would be just to be open, because then you might get some of this, might ingest some of the received wisdom, whether passively or actively, over the course of years, and maybe things will come to you a little quicker. Anyway, we'll uh, catch you next time on the Creative Double Shot. See ya.